But before that, um, feel free to bow your heads and pray with me before I get started. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before your word today, may your spirit guide us and change our hearts to live and cherish your son Jesus. Help us not find our own salvation by looking within, but by your son and what he accomplished on the cross. Even when our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our hearts. Thank you for your living word and, that we, and we pray that as Iggy speaks from your word, that you may guard our hearts from unbelief and apathy. As Iggy leads us through your word, help him to rely on you and your humble heart as we read through Colossians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So today's reading will be coming from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15. So I'll be reading from the New International Version. If you haven't got that before, um, yeah, feel free to start with me from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15, starting from verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought, brought, to, brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, and in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, and having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry. All right, New Year's. It doesn't feel like it. It's a bit surreal, but who here has got some New Year's resolutions? Hands up if you've got some New Year's resolutions. There's some New Year's resolutions. Two people. Fantastic. Well done. Uh, Carlos, what's what's yours, mate? Shout it out. Half marathon. Oh, you heard it here first, guys. (laughs) Accountability. That's what we want. CP, how about you, brother? Drinking water. That's achievable. I can do that, yeah? All right, I can join CP in that one, drinking a bit of water. I'm sure, I'm sure you all want to start the year off on the right foot. Who doesn't, right? It's a new year, a new me, you know, trying to start. And, you know, New Year's resolutions are classically things like, um, you know, I want to eat healthy, yeah? I want to exercise, yeah? I want, I want to be a, a better person, you know? I want to stop procrastinating. I want to be productive, you know? I want to spend less time watching Netflix, you know, actually, whatever it might be for you. But without a doubt, let me tell you, friends, the most important commitment you can make as we start the new year is 
to get a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God. To live for God with all of your heart this year. Wouldn't you love that to be the case for you? Now, maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian, and it's so good that you're here joining us and know more about Jesus and exploring. Um, I actually believe this is the most important thing for all of us, to live in right relationship with God. And that's why we're doing this Reflect series to start off the year. This series is about looking back at 2022 and some of the key truths that we've learned from our teaching series in 2022 to help build us a foundation so that we can really go forward into 2023 on the right foot, to build the right foundations. And what better way to start than in the book of Colossians to get our hearts right, to actually help us to treasure Christ, treasure Christ, loving and worshipping the one we were made to love and worship, Jesus Christ, the one who brings us real hope. That's what I want to talk to you about today. This is the best foundation we can have for the year ahead. But let me start by telling you uh, a story of some false hope that I've had. Uh, when I was younger, um, I can't remember how old I was. Um, my brother's here, he, he might remember as well. I remember getting these letters in the mail. I think they were from Reader's Digest. And they always came with this um, thing on the envelope that says, you have won $500,000. Did you guys ever get something like that? And I was like, I remember being so happy. I used to run into the house going, yes, we're rich, finally, yes. Or to find out. It wasn't real. It was a scam. I can't even remember what it was, but you definitely didn't get half a million dollars. And there's a lot of scams out there nowadays, isn't it? Are you getting like heaps of scam, like text and emails and things? It's like every day um, saying there's like lost money or you just got to send a bit of money and then, you know, you're going to get thousands of dollars. You've all received an email from a Nigerian prince wanting to give away his wealth. Poor Nigerian princes, too much money, need to get rid of it, you know. And when you first see these things, you might get your hopes raised, right? You might go, yes, wow, this looks really, really good. But if you actually put your hope in these things, you're not only going to be severely disappointed, but you'll be harmed as well. Some scams are very obvious, but the best lies are the ones that are most subtle. And friends, today we're going to talk about the dangers of buying into something that promises a lot, that looks good on the outside, but ultimately is empty and worthless and will ultimately destroy you. And we're also going to see the alternative, that what God has for us, what He has promised us, is real, it's true, it's so much better. Okay, well, just to give you a bit of context into the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul, an early church planner, missionary pastor, in about AD 60. Um, It's in the area of modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to this church in Colossae, and his purpose is to proclaim the good news of Jesus, so that all people may be presented mature in Christ and fully know Christ. He states that in chapter 1. That's his purpose. And one of the reasons why he keeps talking about how amazing Jesus is, that's what he's on about, how amazing Jesus is, is this. In chapter 2, verse 4, he actually states this, I tell you this about Jesus, about the gospel. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. And in this passage today, we are going to look at these dangerous arguments, this false teaching that's seeking to draw us away from Christ. But first, let's look at Colossians 2, 6 to 7, because this is actually the heart of the book. And let me remind you what it is. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then... 
Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And this verse sums up everything that Colossians is about. It's a simple message. Keep having strong roots in Jesus. Keep having strong roots in Jesus. That's it. That's the message. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and continue living with Jesus as Lord. Start with Jesus and finish with Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul wants us to know. Continue with Jesus day by day, week by week, year by year. This is the only way to grow strong and healthy, to thrive as God intends for us. Now, the biggest, strongest trees, um, they look really impressive up top, but actually, uh, it's almost even more impressive, the root systems that they have, deep and wide, reaching deep into the earth. That's the only way they can stay upright. Think about it. These massive trees, a huge, strong foundation. And that's what we're called to have so that we can stand firm when storms strike, when challenges face us. A life foundation deep in Christ, unmoving, unshakable, established. I'm sure none of us here plan to turn away from Jesus Christ. Well, if that is the plan, then we need strong roots. So when we are attacked and tempted and threatened, we can stand firm. There will be many threats, friends, Uh, Let's get on to point one, the ways of the world versus Christ. Open your Bibles with me, Colossians 2, uh, verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. So have a look in your Bibles with me. Uh, We're all about God's Word here, so I want you to read along here, see if what I'm saying is God's Word. Colossians 2, verse 8, and it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. At the heart of this passage is a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive. If I told you there was a kidnapper sighted around Cooper's Plains, you would be vigilant, right? Um, My kids have this thing, whenever they see a, a nondescript white van, they say, oh no, kidnapper van, you know, watch out. I don't know where they learnt that. I'll have to ask them. Um, but if you knew a kidnapper was around, you would be vigilant, wouldn't you? And Paul is saying to you, be on guard. Be on guard. There's actually someone out right now to capture you, to kidnap you. And he's not talking about being physically captured. He's talking about your hearts and your minds being captured. The context of this young Colossian church was that they were Gentiles, which means they weren't Jews, Uh, They they grew up soaking in worldly philosophy. Philosophy means a way of thinking, a worldview. Not a Christian way of thinking, that's how they grew up, but a Greek way of thinking, influenced by pagan religion. The culture around them was worshipping, about the worship of pagan gods, different gods which govern different areas of life, like sex, money, success. They would go to different gods to pray for different things. And this is what the passage is talking about when it says the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But what we need to remember is that these are all false gods. What do they provide? Verse 8 says this, hollow and deceptive philosophy. They are empty. They won't fulfill your hopes. And Paul is warning the Colossians, don't go back to this stuff. Stay firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, especially 
what he's saying here is don't get sucked in by anything or anyone that isn't Jesus. The world promises much, but ultimately will give you nothing. And that's the message for all of us today. There are many things in this world that are competing for our hearts and our minds. Many things that are vying for our attention each and every day. So many philosophies and worldviews, they might be quite subtle, you might not even realize, that try and take us captive and away from Jesus. And here's the thing, most of them, we don't even realize they're happening to us. They look really good. They seem pretty harmless, but over time, they will destroy you. As a pastor, over the years, I've seen a few that have led Christians away from Jesus time and time again. Unfortunately, this isn't theoretical. I want to talk to you about two things that I've seen as a pastor that continually lead people away from Jesus Christ. Two hollow philosophies, hollow beliefs. The first one is this, that relationships will make you happy. Relationships will make you happy. Because in the world's eyes, having a romantic partner is everything. This is how you find true happiness. This is how you find fulfillment. This is how you find um, that, that joy that you've always been seeking. And I've seen many people buy into this, many Christians buy into this, so much so that they've jettisoned all other values just to pursue a relationship. So many that have pursued a boyfriend and girlfriend above all things, and Jesus becomes a distant memory. It means that Christians end up dating people they shouldn't be dating. It means they end up marrying people that don't love Jesus. And it means that Christians just slowly drift away as their hearts have been captured by someone else besides Jesus. Their hearts have been captured by that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that husband, that wife. And this isn't theoretical. I've seen it happen over and over again. Friends, that relationship, maybe that's you today, you're you're seeking that relationship, that one relationship won't make you happy. It will lead you to misery. The only relationship that will provide you that true joy and satisfaction is Jesus Christ. Don't buy into that lie, friends. Don't buy into it. That's a false philosophy of the world. That relationship will make you happy. The second one I want to talk to you about is this. Success will make you fulfilled. Success will make you fulfilled. That's the second big thing that the world keeps telling us. Success in your career. Well, that's why we're here, isn't it? That's why we've been studying for one-third of our life or more. Ever since we're little, we've been working hard, getting good marks, getting into the right course, getting the high-paying job. But what I've seen in many people's lives is that it just never, never, never stops. I've seen Christians sacrifice more and more upon the altar of their career progression, their families, their spiritual lives, themselves. And here's the thing, they aren't fulfilled at the end of it. Actually, they never stop. They just feel like they have to keep going and going and going because that's what everyone else is doing and I've invested so much already. Friends, don't buy into this lie. Success will not make you fulfilled. These philosophies, that's just two of them. These philosophies of the world, they offer so much. They offer the good life, freedom, joy, but in the end... They won't deliver. They won't. And if we let our guard down, this worldly thinking, it will take us captive. It will grab us with the grips so tight that we won't be able to get out. 
We will be bound, trapped, enslaved to things that will only lead to death. And it starts small. It might just start with skipping youth group because you've got exams to study for and you want to do well. It might be skipping your Bible reading and prayer time because you know what, actually, I've got other things I need to do. Check my stocks, investing, property. I need to have time for that. It might be skipping life group, church, time with other Christians because work demands it. I need to perform. My boss needs me to perform. And it will be a slow, gradual, day by day, week by week, year by year, drift from Jesus Christ until the ways of the world have gripped you so tightly that you won't be able to get out. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you today, please, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Do not be taken captive by the world. This is the plea and the warning for us from this passage. And we can do this because we have something so much better. And our second point, why Christ is better, why Jesus is better. Paul's strategy for guarding against the ways of the world is simple. It's this. Don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. Let me say that again. Don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. And to be captivated by Christ, to have our hearts so fully captivated by who He is, firstly, we need to look at Jesus. Have a look at Colossians 2 verse 9 with me. Colossians 2 verse 9. Who is Jesus? Have a look at this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. What's it say here? Jesus is God. God in the flesh. The fullness of deity dwells in him. Not just a little bit of God. The fullness the complete fullness of God. Not only that, He is what the head over every power, every authority, everything comes under the rule of Jesus Christ the King. Every king, every nation, every philosophy, every false god, Jesus reigns over them all. He is supreme. This is our Lord. Look at Him. Look at Jesus. What the world offers, it doesn't even compare. But don't just look at who He is. Let's look at what Christ has done. And the key passage, the key in this passage here is union with Christ. You'll notice that in this passage it keeps talking about um, being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It means this. If we trust in Jesus, we have a deep, deep bond with Jesus. We are in Christ. And because we are united with Christ, we get every spiritual blessing that Christ has won. Everything that happens to Christ happens to us. What happens in Christ? Have a look at verse 10 again. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. This means something. This means that you are lacking nothing. You are lacking nothing. If you are a Christian, in Christ, you have everything you need. Here's my question. Do you actually believe that? One of the biggest ways that, the, that Satan attacks is by lying to us. He says this to us. He says, Christ is not enough for you. You need more. Maybe that's in the whisper in your head at the moment. So often we are captured by the ways of the world because we think we need more. We try to fill the longing and emptiness in our hearts by chasing harder after money, 
sex, greatness. And we forget that in Christ we are full. We have everything we need. How so? Well, have a look at verse 11. Have a look at verse 11 with me. In Him you are also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Circumcision was a symbolic sign for the Jews that marked them out as God's people. And Paul's saying to the Colossians that you Gentiles, you didn't belong initially, but now you have turned to Jesus, you've received a metaphorical circumcision. It's not physical. It's not done by human hands. This is a new spiritual reality that Jesus himself brings, a symbol that you belong to God. And this only comes as we are united with Christ. Have a look at verse 11, the second half of verse 11 again. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Look at that, that double with him, with him. That's union with Christ. Through faith, we are so deeply connected with Jesus Christ. So deeply connected with his death that we are buried with him in baptism. Our old selves die. And when Jesus dies, our old self is gone. But it doesn't stop there. We also are raised with him, with new life. We are resurrected as new people. This is the spiritual reality for all those who have come to Christ. You are with Jesus. You are united with Jesus. Did you realize that? And you get everything that Jesus gets. This is what water baptism symbolizes, new life, as we do this here in CPE. Do you see what Christ has done for us? Do you see how full we are? We have new resurrection life, a new hope. And as we finish this section, we'll behold the climax of, the work, of his work in this world, the cross. Have a look at verse 13, 13 and 15. When you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul is reminding the Colossian Christians of where they have come from. And he's reminding all of us who trust in Jesus of this as well. What's it say? Once you were dead in sin. Once you were dead. The picture here is utter hopelessness. It means if you're dead, you can't do anything to help yourself. This is the point. When we are at our most hopeless, what does it say? God made you alive with Christ. This is the gift of God. New life. And we can only have this because of what comes next in the verse. And this is the crucial, crucial truth. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sins. That's the end of verse 13. That's the key line. And we need to stop here for a moment as we start 2023. We need to ponder this to consider what this means. Never forget, our biggest problem is sin. Did you realize that? I'm talking about all of us, without exception. Whether you're Christian or not, I think you know deep down sin is a problem, right? You know that. Countless times we've hurt others with our selfishness. 
our greed, our anger, our impatience, our lust. And we just wish we didn't. We wish, ah, oh, just don't want to do that again. And it ruins relationships. But there's an even bigger problem than ruining our relationships with others. Sin is our biggest problem because it ruins relationship with God, our Creator. Our sin means that we are cut off from God. And here's the thing, friends, when you're cut off from the giver of life, you have no life. Ultimately, it is death. Which is why this little line at the end of verse 13, it changes everything. Look at that line again. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sins. All our sins, sins gone, gone because of what Jesus has done. Verse 14 says this, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. How? Nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. I wonder if you've ever been in debt to someone before. Now, my wife, uh, Li Ching, and I are law-abiding citizens, but one area we do get penalised in more often than we like, and it's this, library fines. <laughs> Our kids love books, and Brisbane City Council, they let you borrow too many books, all right? I think it's, is it 40 at a time? Is that right? Yeah, something like that? 40, 40 at a time, each child. I've got five children, all right? <laughs> So needless to say, sometimes it's hard to keep track of all the books in my house. One time we racked up a significant amount of fines, uh, so much so that we weren't allowed to borrow anymore. They barred our account. Um, we went for as long as we can. And we were cut off from the library. We were cut off from the library. So Li Ching went in to pay. We were ready to pay. She had her wallet out. Um, she was just about to give the money. And then the librarian looked at her and actually said this, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll just clear that debt. And she cancelled what we owed. They were gone, wiped clean. And this was a source of celebration for my family. <laughs> we could come back to the library again. <laughs> we could borrow again. We weren't cut off anymore. Now think about what Jesus has done. We aren't talking about $30 worth of library fines here, friends. We're talking about a multitude of sin, of breaking God's law. We're talking about a mountain of debt that buries us, that condemns us completely as guilty sinners, that brings the righteous anger of God. There is no hope, none. But it is here that Jesus steps in and he says, I paid for it all. It's okay. Your debt is cancelled. And he wipes the slate clean. But unlike the librarian, he doesn't just sweep our debt under the rug. Verse 14 says this, He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's how it's done. Brothers and sisters, our forgiveness comes at a price. Please don't forget that. It costs Jesus his life. He loves us so much that he steps in and he dies for us. He dies the death that you were supposed to die, that I was supposed to die. Did you realize that? And his death means every single sin, everyone, every impure thought, every selfish action, everything, it's been paid for. It's done, done away with. The final verse of this section expands the picture of Christ's work even more. Verse 15, have a look at 
had it with me. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And here's something else that happens on the cross. Through the cross, individuals like you and me have salvation, but through the cross, something even bigger happens, the defeat of all who stand against King Jesus. Every power, every authority, whether they're expressed in human rebellion or maybe spiritual rebellion, Satan against God, all the powers against Christ, they've been put to shame. That's what it says. Jesus is the winner. And ironically, this victory comes through the most shameful, weak-looking event possible, a humiliating death on a criminal's cross. That's the irony. God has planned it like this to show us something. The ways of the world which would esteem the cross as weak and shameful and humiliating. The things of the world that look powerful and promise so much maybe, like powerful armies, might. That, that's not how he works, but he works through low things, weak, weak things, shameful things, through the cross, through Jesus and his death. This is how he wins the victory. The ways of the world are different from the ways of Christ, but the ways of Christ are what ultimately bring you true victory, true hope, and true life. There's great assurance here. Friends, our assurance is this. Christ has won the victory already. Already. This is not a maybe. This is not a perhaps it will happen. This has been done. So even if you never get married, even if you never get that job that you dream of, even if you don't earn as much money as the people around you, it's okay. Because in Christ, you have everything you need. In Christ, you have real victory. You share in his resurrection power. That's what scriptures tells us. We share in the same resurrection life that Jesus Christ himself has as the Spirit raises him from the dead. You've been raised in your life. You have everything that you need. You are full in Christ. Friends, do you believe this? Friends, believe it. Because that's what God has told us. And this is what brings us real hope as we start this year. Look at who Jesus is. God in the flesh, ruler of all. Look at what he has done. He's forgiven our sins. He's raised us a new life. He has won us the victory over every power and authority. Look at him and tell me, tell me this. Can the world offer anything remotely close to that? Don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. What an amazing saviour we have. And we're at our last point as we get practical, a defense against the ways of the world. The passage is here for one reason, to warn us, to warn us. Let me end by a few practical things. We need to, it's, it's warning us about the dangers of following the ways of the world, empty philosophies, false spirituality. But did you notice the way Paul did this? How did he warn us? He actually he didn't spend 20 verses outlining all the different challenges that the Colossians had, all the different philosophies that they were battling against. Um, he didn't spend the passage actually talking about that. He actually just had one line in there. Did you notice that? Instead, what did he spend his time doing? He spent his time talking about Jesus the entire passage. Did you notice Paul's strategy? 
He didn't focus on all these things that were out against us. Of course, we've got to be aware of those things. But he focused on Jesus, on Jesus, on Jesus. Who he is, what he has done. And I think this is the strategy we need. If we want to guard against being captured by the world, the solution is not to focus on all the things we have to avoid. We, the, the solution is not to focus on all the things we have to... We, it's like we're living in terror and we're always paranoid. But instead... The solution is to look at Jesus, to look at Jesus, to gaze upon the gospel, to be so captivated by Christ that all these other things fade away from us. Just like being faithful in a marriage. Of course, you need to be aware of the temptations around you, but really, the real solution is to be so utterly captivated by your spouse, your husband or your wife, that everything else, anyone else, pales in comparison to them. Isn't that the way? But how can that be the case if you never looked at your spouse, your husband, or your wife? And just like that, the biggest call for us is just to look at Jesus. Because the more you look at Jesus and behold who he is and what he has done, the more you'll be captivated by him. And everything else will just fade away into insignificance. It won't even appeal to you anymore. Sinful culture, false teaching, whatever doesn't fit with Jesus will not be appealing. The best defense against the ways of the world is simply this, to look at Jesus, to look at Jesus, to look at Jesus. So friends, how are you going at that? Is your Bible gathering dust on your shelf? Is your Bible app unopened? Are you beholding your Instagram daily instead of beholding your King Jesus daily? Friends, if you want to start 2023 well, if you want to finish 2023 well, let me tell you, this starts by opening up God's Word, because it is here that we meet Jesus Christ, and it's here that we get to know Jesus Christ. This is God's means of introducing Jesus to us and helping us to get to know Jesus better and love Him better. Did you, did you realize that? Right here, God's Word. So as we end, let me give you a few quick principles to help you as we look at Jesus this year, and it's this. Number one is this. Schedule your devotions. Schedule your devotions. I'm not saying this to be legalistic, but let's, let's, um, let's be honest. We, we schedule what matters to us, right? You put in your calendar what's important because you don't want to miss that appointment, whether it's a, a meet-up with your boss or, you know, I don't know, your wedding, something like that. You put it in your calendar, don't you? Right? I'm sure you wouldn't forget that anyway, but just for example... The point is, if you schedule what matters, whatever you put in your diary is actually important to you because you actually want to see it, you want to be reminded of it. So why not schedule your devotions? When's a regular time that you can actually do this? Is it on the bus on the way to work? Is it after you, you know, have a shower? Is it, you know, link it to something you do regularly, right? Is that at breakfast time, you know, reading God's Word, praying? Um, schedule it in. Schedule it in, friends. Schedule. You schedule what matters. The second one is this, and mix it up. I find that variety really helps. Sometimes I just pick up my Bible and I just read. You know, I read and then I pray. Sometimes I use devotional books. You know, I've been using some books by Tim Keller, Paul Tripp, you know, to help me uh, reflect on the text. Uh, sometimes I just try to memorize one verse. You know, I'll read a, you know, maybe like a few verses and just try to memorize one verse and sort of chew over that for the day. Now, sometimes I use audio Bible devotions um, as I, you know, I drive to work and things like that. Um, sometimes we feel guilty that we're not just like, you know, 
um, diligently studying the Bible cover to cover, that's okay. I think God's happy when you just get into His Word. So if you're feeling like you need a bit of inspiration in a different way, mix up the way that you're reading your Bible. Maybe you need a Christian book to help inspire you. Yeah? Mix it up. I think that actually helps as long as you get into God's Word. And the third thing is this, be realistic. Friends, be gracious to yourself. Okay? Um, I'm not a huge, some people use them, but I'm not a huge fan of Bible plans. You know, the read the Bible in a year sort of thing, because I find by uh, day six, I'm already 50 chapters behind, and I get so discouraged that I just stop. Just be realistic. Yeah, don't try to read 10 chapters a day. You'll get discouraged and give up. Aim for 10 minutes a day, five days a week. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could get into that little habit? A bit of Bible is better than nothing at all. And when you don't do it, that's okay. Don't condemn yourself about it. Come back to God. You know, pray to Him. Ask for help that He might help you. If you're a young mum with a baby, maybe it's less than that. That's okay. Be gracious to yourself, but have your heart set on wanting to know Jesus better. And that only comes as we come to Jesus' words in Scriptures. Friends, let me tell you something. I'm confident of this. You will not get to know Jesus better unless you open up His words. Really? Honestly, this is how we get to know him. And I would plead with you and urge you for this year, make this the thing that you resolve to do, to keep looking at Jesus Christ. Because everything changes when we behold him. Everything changes when our hearts are captivated by him. Friends, don't be captured by the world. Instead, be captivated by Christ. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for this reminder from your word about who he is, that he is God in the flesh. Thank you for this reminder about what he has done, that he has forgiven every sin, everything, all of us, you know, forgiven because of his death on the cross. Thank you that he has resurrected to new life and has granted us this life. Thank you that he has victory over every power and authority. And we pray this year amidst the busyness, amidst the challenges, whatever might distract us, that we can just keep looking at Jesus, keep being in awe and wonder about what he has done and who he is and just be captivated by him. And may all of our life flow from that, seeing who Jesus is. We pray this for our sake, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, we're going to keep reflecting on the cross now in a time of